earlier, the Bible says that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. You know, life is so filled with trials. Would you agree with that? I mean, life is so filled with troubles. Would you agree with that? Uh, it's so filled with these things, it's just good to know that everything somehow, some way, is being worked out according to the plan of our good, good Father. Amen? So, because of this ironclad promise of God, you and I can have great confidence that this promise is the good as, as good as the God who made it. Not only that, this promise doesn't say some things. It doesn't say a few things. It says all things work together for good. So it is a complete promise. Uh, even the things you don't understand, even the things you don't like, the Bible says God is working out for our good and for his glory. That's good to know. And these things that are being worked out, they're not just working out by coincidence. No, there is a cause. And the cause of this promise is the personal concern and work of our God in heaven. He is working in the life of the believer. And you need to know that all things, therefore, are being used for good for us. However, this promise is not for everyone. There is a condition. The condition of this promise is it extends only to those who love God. After all, Jesus said, The greatest commandment I give to you, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Therefore, friend, can you honestly say, can you honestly say that you have a deep and passionate love for God? The Bible's clear. Only those who love God can claim that promise that we read in Romans 8.28. Finally today, we're going to take a look deeper into the consequence of this promise. Because at the end of verse 28, the Bible says... To those who are the called according to his purpose. According to his purpose. So if you want that promise, you better understand the promise. It's important for you to understand and to know God's great promise. But can I tell you that it's more important that you know God's great purpose behind this promise, it's found in verse 29. Read along with me. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In that one verse, we find perhaps the greatest uh, illustration, the greatest description of God's purpose that's found in the promise of 828. There are two words that I want you to circle in your Bibles. 
Yes, you can write in your Bibles. Amen? Write in your Bibles. The first word I want you to circle is that word for new. God for new. Circle that word. The second word that I want you to circle in verse 29 is that big old word predestined. Circle that word predestined because in those two words lies God's promise, God's purpose for us. Number one, God's purpose for us rests in the fact that he chose us. God chose us. First of all, God has chosen us. That's what that word foreknew means. He chose us to be part of his family. Now I want you to prepare to have your minds blown. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? Amen. Amen. Before earth was even created over 6,000 years ago, and millions of centuries before you were even conceived, God knew you. God chose you to be part of his family. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that that's true. Verse 4 says that God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons. How? By Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, in the original language of the Bible, that word for new in Romans 8.29 is the word prognostikos. And I don't expect you to know what that means, but it's where we get the English word prognosis or prognosticator. For instance, doctors may make a health prognosis, but would you agree that sometimes they don't get it right? Amen? <laughs> Thank you, Glenda. <laughs> uh, you may uh, listen to the Weather Channel. Every week, the Weather Channel tries to prognosticate what the weather's going to look like for your weekend. How often do they get it right? Not very. 50, they're 50-50, right? So that's kind of what the idea of prognosticos means, foreknew. But listen to this. When God makes a forecast, it's always right. Amen? When God makes a forecast, it always happens just the way he said it. Now, there's something I want you to see here in verse 29 is that verse does not say what God foreknew. It doesn't go on to give you a full life description of what he foreknew. Instead, it says whom he foreknew. That's important because what we're talking about here is we're talking about knowing somebody personally. God knew you before you were even created. He knew who you were going to be, and he chose you in advance. Consider this. Before any of the planets were put in place, before a single star was scattered in the universe, you have a God that says, I knew you, and I chose you to be a part of my family. I chose you to be my child. Now, there are some people who really get tripped up because they think, well, since God chose somebody to be saved, that must mean that he chose somebody to 
be lost too. But the Bible never says that. That's not what it says. In fact, last week I shared with you that it's God's will that nobody perishes. It's God's will that nobody be eternally separated from God. Nobody. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Bible says that God is patient with people. He's long-suffering with people. He's waiting on people, not willing. It's not his purpose. He's not willing that any person should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, God's not willing that anybody should perish. But sadly, we know that many have perished, don't we? It's not God's will that any should perish, but we know that many are perishing, don't we? It's not God's will that any should perish, but we know that many will perish, don't we? And the reason that they perish is because they refuse to place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. So here's what I want to point out today. God's will is not automatically done. Stay with me. God's will is not automatically done. Everything that happens in your life isn't necessarily God's will. Think about this. God wants everybody to be saved, right? It's not his will that anybody should perish. He wants everybody to be saved. But God also knows that there are those who will not be saved. God does know that not everybody will come to faith in Christ. And so, God gives us a choice. He gives us a choice in this matter of salvation. Now, some people think, that every single thing that happens in their life is planned by God. They think, man, God predestined that to happen in my life? Wow, that was part of his plan? It's like that guy walking down to the steps of the basement. He gets losing his balance, and he tumbles down the steps. And he gets to the bottom, and he dusts himself off, and he says, whoo, man, I'm glad that one was over with. Like God planned it or something. Well, God doesn't plan such things, does he? He doesn't plan those things. No. God gives us a choice how we're going to walk the steps of life. He gives us a choice. He foreknew it, but he didn't plan it to be that way. He gives us a choice. He foreknew it, but it wasn't God's will that we fall down the steps of life. It wasn't God's will that you be rebellious. It wasn't God's will that you be disobedient. So he gives us a choice in the matter. But God chose all of us that are in his family billions and billions of years ago. Now, God's purpose rests in the fact that he chooses us. But that's not the whole story. Because God's purpose also rests in the fact that he changes us. He changes us. Not only does God choose us to be part of the family, he changes us so we can be part of the family. Amen? It's important. In other words, God makes us different than the way we started out. He uses a whole lifetime, but God does things and changes us throughout the course of our lives so we can be and look part like we're part of the family. That word predestined, it just means that God has predetermined what we're going to become. 
It means that we, he has predetermined what we're going to look like when he's done with us. Amen? Look again at verse 29. God is predestined that you and I should be conformed to the image, conformed to the likeness of his son. You see, when you come to Christ, you don't look a whole lot like him. When you come to Christ, God starts the process. He begins the wheels turning in your life. He begins the changes that he's going to make. He begins the process and he never stops. He keeps on working on us until we are conformed into the image of his beautiful son. Philippians 1.6 supports this, saying, Being confident of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So what God starts in you, he ain't going to stop until he's done, until he brings it to completion. It's important for you to know that. You need to put this in your mind, friend. You need to put this in your heart today. God's main goal in saving you is to make you like Jesus. Did y'all hear that? That's what God's up to when he saves you. He says, I'm going to start the process in you of making you more like Jesus. I'm going to start in your character, and ultimately, I'm even going to change your body to be like Jesus. In other words, even your body one day will ultimately be made like Jesus. But right now, in the life you're living, God's working on your character. Character are the things that you are even when somebody's not looking. The private things and the public things. God is working on your character, changing you, working on you, continuing the process, making you more like Jesus. Now, there's a whole lot of confusion about that, friends. For instance, when you ask most Christians, why did you become a Christian? Or when you ask a Christian, why did God save you? The go-to response is always this. So I can go to heaven when I die. Amen? That's what people say. I disagree with that. That's a wonderful benefit, but that's not why God saved me. That's not why I became a Christian. The main purpose for which God saved us is not so that you can go to heaven when you die. That's a wonderful blessing of that. But think about this. If going to heaven was the main reason for being saved, then the best thing that I could do when somebody walked this aisle to come, come to Christ is take out my gun and shoot him on the spot and say, okay, there you go. You're all done. Right? But what does God do? He says, uh-uh. Now the work starts. Now the process begins. The process begins. Other people say, well... I guess that God saved me to forgive me of my sins. But can I tell you, no, that's not the reason that God saved you. Certainly a prerequisite. You've got to have your sins forgiven by the sinless Son of God. Yes. Uh, and it's certainly a benefit of being saved. But the reason God saved you, the reason God saved me, is because He wants you and I to be like Jesus. Every day and in every way in our character. And so he's constantly working out this process. 
Now let me ask you this question. How much like Jesus are you right now? In character? In the way you think? In the way you forgive? In the way you apply grace? In the way you work? In the way you worship? How much like Jesus are you right now? If the width of this stage is the process by which you are made like Jesus, I can't speak for you, but I'm about right here. God's got a whole lot of work to do in me, amen. He's just getting started good. But he's promised that he's going to bring it all the way to completion one day. You have that same promise, and that's what Romans 8.28 is all about. He's working together for good. All these things. Why? Because you love him and you are the called according to his purpose. It's part of the promise. So you need to understand that God's purpose rests in the fact that he's changing you. Now let me ask you this. Um, I asked you, how much like Jesus are you right now? What if I were to ask the people you live with, you know, your family? What would they say about how much you look like Jesus? What about those people that you work with on the job? What would they say if I asked them, how much do they look like Jesus? What about the other students you go to school with? If they're looking at you and I ask them, how much does she look like Jesus? How much like Jesus is she? What would those other students say? If I were to ask every one of them, how much like Jesus are you, what would their answer be? You might say, well, Bill, I have to be truthful with you. I don't know what Jesus is like. You know, I, I used to love those WWJD bracelets. Anybody know what that WWJD stands for? What would Jesus do? Exactly. Well, I decided I'm going to make a new bracelet. And that new bracelet is going to be WIJL. What is Jesus like? Because it's not so much about what Jesus was do would do, it's about what Jesus is like that I need to be. See, there are many things that Jesus did that I can't do and ain't got no hope of doing. Jesus walked on water. <laughs> I ain't doing that. Jesus took five loaves and two fishes and he fed 5,000 people with it. Sorry, y'all, I can't do that. I can not do those things, but, but what Jesus is like, I can do that. I can do that. Here's the key. I don't have to try to imitate Jesus. I don't have to try to work hard to be like Jesus. 
as a believer in Christ, his personality is being reproduced in me by the power of the Holy Spirit who's in me. It's happening, and he's going to bring it to completion. So he's doing the work for me. I just have to remember what the nine indicators of the fact that the Holy Spirit's in me looks like. How much are you like Jesus in these areas? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. You see, God is interested in making a whole family of people that are just like Jesus. You say, Bill, that sure would be a boring family. Everybody looks the same. They all look alike. You might say, man, if they're all like Jesus, that'd be a boring family. But I would tell you, oh, no, that'd be pretty exciting. I mean, consider this. Wouldn't it be great if in the world everybody was loving like God? Wouldn't it be great if every human being in the entire world was totally unselfish? Wouldn't it be great to live in a world where everybody was exuberant and full of joy? Probably couldn't handle that, could we? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we lived in a world where everybody was full of peace, everybody was Patient with one another. Boy, that'd be a big one right there, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great if we lived in a world where everybody was kind to one another? Do you get my drift? Boy, it wouldn't be no boring family. It'd be a great family. And can I tell you, that's what God's up to. That's what he's doing. He's trying to make a family that looks like Jesus. It's our destiny. It's our destination. Friend, God has already predetermined that he's going to make us that way. And he's working on you now in your character. In your character. So that's why all things, say all things, all things are working together for the good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. That's his purpose behind the promise. So the ultimate question is, friend, are you ready to face God? Are you ready to stand before God face to face? Have you given your life to Christ? Jesus gave up his body and Jesus shed his blood as a sacrifice so that you could become part of the family. And this Lord's Supper is the most beautiful illustration 
of what Jesus did for the believer. So as our deacons come